0: big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marian Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big one, welcome to you. My name is Marian Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we are talking about hitting and biting again because there's
1: a little bit of a story behind this. Do you want to share the story, Lao? Well, we hitting and biting is one of our most listened to podcasts. And then we realized that, I don't know, somewhere along the lines, the end of it got cut off. And we've had a few messages going, hang on, it was just getting to the good part where you tell me then what to do to help with hitting and biting. And now it's not there. And so we're like, oh, it's time to revisit and come back. I don't know what happened to the end. Who knows? Maybe it was there and then it disappeared. I don't know. But anyway, we're going to revisit it because it is something that we get asked about a lot. And I think it is. um, It pops up for most parents at some point, particularly when you have little kids, it can still happen when your kids are bigger. Uh, So I think it's a beautiful topic to lean into again from an aware parenting lens around how we can navigate hitting and biting with our kids. So I think we should always start where we start in the beginning, Marion, where perhaps do you want to start talking first around the bigger picture of, I guess, you know, will I just move into that whole behaviorism paradigm where we've been told for a long time that children are naughty if they hit or they bite and all those kind of things. So perhaps should we start at that bigger overall picture as to the why children may do this?
0: Mm, let's do that I love that let's um what I love one thing I know that we both love about aware parenting is that it really has a really fundamentally different perception of the true nature of human beings and for so many hundreds and thousands of years the 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 perception has been that we are naturally I mean back in um it used to be more like evil you know there was evil and of course that's still in so many places in the world that is the the religious belief that humans are evil and we need to be really um, trained as young people as children as babies to you know out of that evilness and if you've ever read any um you know things about parenting a couple of hundred years ago, it was all about that, you know, to, to uh, rid the child of evil, you know, don't give them any attention. You know, if they cry they're this is the evil coming out of them um, tantrums. And I know Letha in which book is it tears and tantrums or the way away baby. She talks about Letha sort of talks about um, how, yeah, even quite recently that was seen as when a child was having a tantrum, it was seen as that they were possessed by the devil so really just seeing how um, inculcated these perceptions of human beings are, and they really influence parenting. Uh, our beliefs about who we are as human beings, what our true nature is, has a profound effect on how we perceive a child's behavior. So where parenting really has such a different concept to that, and it's really coming back to, again, Aletha Salt's beautiful list of three things, the three causes for um. A challenging behavior basically which are number one a need for information number two unmet needs and number three painful accumulated feelings so it's really going from that perception that if a child is hitting or biting or throwing or pushing or taking that basically there's it's they're showing that there's something inevitably wrong with them and that we need to kind of train them out of this to actually understanding that when a child is hitting or biting or pushing or throwing or any of those things, then it's usually there's something going on underneath. You, all, you always talk about that, the um, you know looking underneath the behavior. I would say, would you, Lael, that with hitting, I would say it's never going to be the information piece. It's always going to be either um, unmet needs, but actually most of the time I would say it's accumulated feelings. Um, Mm. so I'd love to just mention the other lovely list of three things Mm. so basically children have three options we all do with feelings to for expression for repression or aggression so basically if a child is going into aggression it generally means that there is enough accumulated painful feelings that haven't been expressed in healthy ways through tears and tantrums and so the, the feelings are physiological things they are There are hormones, there are physical tension in the body, there are real feelings and they need to come out somewhere. If they're not coming out through expression or if they're not being repressed, they're going to show up in aggression. So basically, uh, as parents, we're we're aiming to support our children so they have fewer upset feelings in the the first place by meeting the knees and being attentive and all the lovely respectful all the stuff, but also the more we can listen to their feelings and support them in expressing their feelings, the less likely they're going to turn to aggression. But there are also lots of things that we can do, really tangible things that we can do in a parenting if a child is hitting or biting or any of
1: those things, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. And, I look, I would really agree with you that I think the – when a child has, when they've reached the point of hitting or biting or pushing or any of those, you know, more physical behaviors, yes, it is. I think it is an accumulation of feelings that that need to be expressed. And I, I absolutely agree with you. I think any parent will tell you that when your child's hitting, you can't rationally talk to them to make them stop, you know, and, and we can say don't hit or we can we can yell from the other side of the room, but it doesn't stop because usually what's happened is those feelings have reached capacity and the body is trying to find a way to get it out. And, and for those of you that like brain science and stuff like that, you know, they often talk about how the brain reaches capacity, the prefrontal cortex, particularly for younger kids isn't able to necessarily rationalize what's going on. You know, the amygdala is like, I I have to reset, you know, I've reached capacity and and therefore they move into tears or anger or, or tantrums and all that kind of beautiful stuff as the body begins to reset itself. So there's many different explanations we can look at as to why it goes on. I mean, any parent will tell you, no matter how gently we parent our kids, at some point in their journey, they're going to reach places where they feel powerless and they may end up hitting or they may end up biting. And we all often really move into what is wrong with my child or what is what have I done that my child does that. I think there's so many elements and layers to it, isn't that? And that's something that I have seen in my work over the years of with working with parents that... They're like, but I've, I've, you know, I've been deeply attached to my child and it's been, you know, I've met their needs all the time and we do this and we do that and, and, you know, by all accounts, a beautiful, beautiful attached relationship and then perhaps a new baby comes along into the mix or you move house or something big changes in that toddler's life and all of a sudden the toddler might be hitting or biting or doing these behaviours and parents are like, but why? I've only ever being kind or used words. And I think that's really important to know that it is often for little ones. It's a powerlessness. It's a, it's a buildup of stuff. And it's not because they want to do it. it. We often come back to this. No child feels good hitting or biting or pushing. They don't do it because they want to. They do it because on some level they're trying to move what's sitting in their body. And so I hope that gives some parents some reassurance that even as we do and there is no right, but even if we feel like we're trying to get everything right, sometimes our children are still going to move into this powerlessness and they're going to act it out in some ways as they're learning and as they're growing. So I think it's really good to remember even as adults, we sometimes get angry or sometimes we want to throw things or sometimes we want to act out because we have a buildup of feelings and and we are adults who have the capability to express ourselves to use words to ask for what we need but sometimes we act out in that way and i think it's really important to remember that children are learning and they're growing and no child feels good acting in that way but they're often doing it because they've reached well in my words what i been thinking they've reached capacity they, they can't, you know, they're, they're either feeling really powerless, they're feeling um, their needs are not being met, whatever is going on for them, and it's coming out in their body. So I think the first thing that I really want to, I guess, come back to and really reiterating, you know, those reasons why children may be doing it is it's it's not the behavior that we go, yes, that's what I want to see, but it's not abnormal. And I think that's a really important thing as a parent to understand that when my child is doing it, it's not because they're bad it's not because they're wrong, it's because they're telling me something. You know, as you're saying, we're always looking behind the behaviour. What are they telling me in this moment when they're trying to bite their little brother or they're wanting to push something over or they're wanting to hit? They're saying, hey, I'm waving a red flag going, I need some support, I need some help here. So I think it's always really, really important to remember you know, as parents that, that our children are not bad, you know, and they're not wrong. They are just saying, can you please help me? And this is the only way they're trying to tell us how, what they need. I
0: love that, Lal. And I think that's such a key part, isn't it? It's really coming back to like what, what we, how we are perceiving the behavior. So coming back to what we are thinking, what our perception is, because if we are, in that old conditioning and we're telling ourselves exactly as you said, there's something wrong with them. They're bad or we're fearing the future. What's going to happen to them? Or we're judging ourselves. We're not going, it's going to be very hard for us to be um, sitting in a place of enough compassion and connection with them to be actually able to move in and respond in the ways that we're going to be talking about that actually support a child to move from aggression to expression. So Mm. That's, I think, why the, the information piece is so important, isn't it? And that can take some, you know, it can take quite a while to shift that because we have all grown up in the behaviorist paradigm, which was, you know, if to change the behavior, basically, that's what behaviorism is by with rewards or punishments or shame. All of those um, surface things were actually designed to change the behavior. And what Aware Parenting is doing is looking at, um, to change the source of the behavior and for us to change out of that behaviorist paradigm, it, you know, take it, it can take some time. So if you notice yourself going back to those old thoughts about why they're doing it or what this means about them, I also send so much love and compassion because, mm. of course, you are. You, you probably experienced that. You know, each mm. us did hundreds and thousands of times when we were growing up. So Totally.
1: And it, it is. It's that. That's still, and we hear this languaging, the child's naughty. And, you know, I, I like we we both sit on this, we don't believe there's any such thing as a naughty child. There's just a child that hasn't got their needs met. There's a child that's out of balance. There's a child that's got a whole lot going on and they're doing their best to find their way back to that centre. They're finding their way back into balance. And, and, you know, it's our job to be able to look at our child and go, hey, what's going on for them? What am I seeing in this moment? And what do they need where I can help them come back to find their center? That for me was such a huge um, game changing piece in the whole parenting paradigm. You know, when when I started using aware parenting, that little bit of information to go, my child's not wrong. child's not bad. They're not doing it to annoy me. They're doing it because they're trying to send me a message. They're trying to say, Hey, can you help me? And that was such a big piece of information that then allowed me to soften, to go, Oh, my job is to help you. It's not to punish you. And it's not to, to stop you from doing this because it's bad and it's wrong and those kind of things. And, and, you know, it never really worked anyway. Like I, I think back to perhaps when my son was little and and my daughter came along and so he was a three-year-old and there was a baby And, you know, after about four or five months, he started to be really rough with his sister or he would, you know, he would kind of hit or push her a little bit. And, you know, I would keep saying gentle hands and we're soft and, you know, all these things that I would say to try and show him how to do it, which again is is not bad, but it didn't work (laughs) because he still kept doing it. And really it was only much later that I realized, oh man, he had a whole lot of feelings there around having a little sister. And I just kept trying to make it okay all the time. So I just kept trying to appease him or just kept trying to remind him, be gentle, but it didn't actually change what was going on. It just, you know, there was just more accumulation of those feelings that sat there for him. And then as I began to understand more about it, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. There's a whole lot that he's trying to move in his body. And that's my job to help that. And when we do and help our kids do that, then the behavior changes, you know, and they don't feel a need to do it because they are actually getting their needs met. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm even thinking, you know, I know for me
0: more when my son was a little bit older and it was more and not cooperating. Uh, there was a particular thing that was a bit of a, uh, a sweet spot for me around going to the beach and what I would notice Then I would start going even then. And I've been practicing aware parenting by uh, then by, you know, for, I don't know, 10 years or a lo- long time. And I still sometimes notice myself just slightly going into thoughts around, you know, what's this going to mean for him in this future? And, you know, why won't he just cooperate? I just want to go to the beach. So I had this little mantra, which was, let me see if I can remember. Um, He's not enjoying it. He's not doing it deliberately. He needs my help. So whenever yes. I noticed myself going to any kind of judgment of him or myself or future thinking about what this meant, I would just keep coming back to it. He's not enjoying it. He's not doing it deliberately. He needs my help. So that can be a really helpful thing. Again, it's only on a thinky level only on the information level but our thoughts do impact how we feel and what we have you know what we're going to be able to do in terms of our response so uh, I invite Uh, listeners if there's something that you would like to remind yourself that you would find really helpful to remember in the moment especially if your child is hitting or biting or doing those Mm. things what would you like to I know we normally say this at the end but I wanted Mm. to say at this point what would you like to be reminding yourself about this yes particularly as you hear us talk there might be things that really jump out to you and you go oh I'd like to I'd like to have that as my own like little inner dialogue support. Mm,
1: I love that. I love those three things. That's so good. My version was that of that is I would just imagine them waving a red flag. <laughs> they were like, help me, help me, please. And so when, uh, when any behavior, and I use that even up into the teenage years, whenever they were acting in a way, I would just imagine they're waving a red flag going, can you please help me? And that would make me instantly go, ah case often my job here is to bring safety or a loving limit or some playfulness or whatever it is to help you move whatever's going on here so I I really love that you know what words do you need to hear what visuals do you need to imagine when our children are acting out what is it that helps us then go okay my job in this moment here is to bring the safety is to bring the support, the safety, the love, the holding so that we can move what's going on here. So I love that, whatever it takes for us to see that. And and I really I love what you brought up before. It's, and we always say this about the compassion with ourselves because, as you mentioned before, most of us were modelled uh, this whole paradigm that, that there's naughty and they're, they're bad and you're doing something wrong. And that's what we've been conditioned to believe. So this takes time uh, to undo some of those thoughts and belief systems until we can automatically respond with, ah, there's something going on for that child and not being reactive, you know, moving into well, We need to teach them a lesson or we need to punish them or we need to discipline them more. You know, and I think that it's really important to remember that sometimes it takes time for us to shift and change those belief systems.
0: Mm, so much so. And what I have loved, and I know you have too, Lael, is that the more we're seeing our children in these ways through this this particular lens and perception of human beings, the more we then, that travels to ourselves, to have compassionate understanding of ourselves when we are responding in ways to our children that we don't want to, that we've got those three same things going on, you know, what we're telling ourselves, what our unmet needs are, our own feelings from our own past showing up. But also just in humans, all humans, you know, it becomes really easy, doesn't it, to see that behind everyone in the world who's doing you know, all the terrible stuff that's going on, to have compassionate understanding that they're they're not bad or evil, that there's often a huge amount of unexpressed pain that's underneath that. That doesn't mean that we just you know are loving and then just accept that just as with a child if a child's hitting another child we're not just like oh yes I'm I understand sweetheart you've got some big feelings of course we're going to step in and we'll be talking about that maybe even now about loving limits and attachment play so we're we're still the aim is to stop the behavior but it's from a compassionate place Mm. and actually in the stopping addressing the source And actually, maybe I will talk about loving limits. So that is one of the ways that we can respond. We can respond with attachment play as well. I mean, there are preventative things that we can do, which we'll talk about. Um, Oh, here's Feather. So if you can hear snuffles and snorts, Feather, the French bulldog, has arrived. (laughs) Um, So um, I made up the term loving limits, and I really love it because what we're doing is uh, we are saying no to the behavior and we're saying yes to the feelings that are causing that behavior. So we're basically... Um, I like to think of it as doing the minimum possible to stop the behavior. So if a child's hitting, that might be putting a hand on their hand and stopping them from hitting more. If they've got their hand, they've got a truck in their hand and it's about to come down on another child's head. We're gonna uh, you know, reach in and, and put a hand on the uh, or hands on the truck and, and their arm. You know, of course, wherever possible, it's the most wonderful thing to get in before it happens, but actually moving in to say this is a no to the behavior, but we and we are saying a yes to the feelings underneath it. So um, I love to say, no, you know, I'm not willing for you to do that, sweetheart. I'm not willing for you to do that, sweetheart. And I'm right here and I'm listening. So what we're basically doing is stopping the behavior, which is the aggression. And when we do that, we are what we're wanting then well the intention is we may not be really wanting it but the intention is to then listen to the feelings that are causing the behavior because if we stop the behavior and which is what that's so many other approaches about you need know, to stop the hitting if we don't actually support the expression those feelings are still sitting in there so the next time they're still feeling that deep uncomfortableness it's horrible to feel like that you know we know in ourselves and we're at that point where we're you know speaking harshly to our kid or using coercion whatever the thing is we've got to that point it's it's really unenjoyable they are not enjoying that and what basically if we keep on stopping the behavior but we don't address how they're actually feeling their bodies they're going around carrying those feelings and someone is going to lose out i mean they're going to go back again and try and hit something they're going to to stick keep doing things that they know we again, going to feel agitated, annoyed. They're basically longing for some help so that they can feel more comfortable in their bodies. They don't want to feel like that. So it's a, a no to behavior. I'm not willing for you to do that. And a yes to the, the deep pain that they're feeling that is causing that hitting in the first place.
1: I I just, I love how you've expressed that so beautifully. And I wonder for anybody listening, if you just want to take a moment to think about when you were little and you were upset or you were acting out or you were doing something and to have an adult come in and say, hey, I'm here to help you, I'm not willing for you to do that, but I'm here to hear how you feel about it, how would that have felt? And I think this is so important, you know, that piece of Remembering what it feels like to be a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old. And when we've got this accumulation of feelings and we're feeling a bit out of control and we're feeling powerless and we're feeling angry, to have an adult come in who is calm and who is like, hey, I'm here. I've got you. I'm going to help you move this. Imagine what that would feel like. And so many of us have never experienced that. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to just take a moment to go, gosh, how would that feel? And even when you say the words, Marion, when, when you are just talking about how you express that, I go, oh. <laughs> it makes me feel safe, right? And then I think about three-year-old layle how that would have helped. That's what I would have wanted. I would have wanted a parent to come in who was calm and say, hey, I can see that things are big. I'm here to help you. I've got this. It's not too big for me. And I I welcome your big feelings and your anger and all of that. And I can hold it because then we would instantly melt into the safety of that. And we allow those feelings to come through and then we find our way back into balance. And through that, we feel connected to our parent. We feel trusting of our parent. We feel safe with them. Whereas I think many of us, what we experienced was either shaming or shutting down or being sent to our room or maybe we were hit because we were hitting, like, you know, perhaps they're the things that we experienced. And how did that land in our bodies? And usually, and I know this and you know this because we've, we've listened to so many stories in our own stories that usually how we felt was, I don't feel understood. You know, there's now a rupture with the person who's meant to keep me safe. And maybe I am a bad person because that's what I'm doing. And then we have these stories and these internal dialogues that grow around it. So I think what you explained so beautifully, and that's why I love loving limits so much, we're saying no to the behaviour and yes to the feelings is the most divine explanation for me around this stuff because what it really does is say, I'm here to help you. I'm going to make it safe. Um, I think it's it's a game changer oh
0: well I'm wondering how everyone's feeling right now I can I could feel that too as you swear that's so beautiful and so incredibly profound you know that so that then you know hitting an experience of hitting with a parent if a parent can move in in that way becomes a profound opportunity for connection and healing doesn't it rather than an experience where there's, yeah, as you say, ruptures, disconnecting more, more hurt, basically what most of us experience is more hurt being added onto the top and, you know, and I want to deeply acknowledge how hard that can be at times to actually move in, in those really calm ways, because for us to move in and to be holding that safety and, you know, I'm here to keep everyone safe and I'm, and I'm going to create that safety. I'm going to, I'm here to stop the behavior. I'm here to listen to the feelings. Um, we've got little birds coming now, so my apologies about the birds. Oh, but anyway, <laughs> that's life in Malumbimbi. <laughs> um, oh, what was I saying? But um, yeah, it can be really, really, really hard. So, uh, so much love and compassion to mm. anyone who's who's uh, you know, because if we are in a place where we've got really big stuff going on, it's going to be almost impossible for us to be able to move in with a with a true loving limit because a loving mm-hmm. limit requires us to be in a, a relatively calm space in our yes. bodies. So yes.
1: And I agree, I, I really want to say it took me a long time. To learn how to do this well yeah. because like I've shared in many other podcasts my beautiful natural nature is permissive parenting which is just bad I need to make everyone happy so let's, all just, <laughs> let's just make everyone happy all the time and um, so I would just try and fix it and make it all okay and it felt really uncomfortable learning how to have those limits or holding because I didn't have any in myself and then I had to really learn what it felt like to embody that to then be able to do it. And it was really interesting. If I look back on my learning journey, you know, the times when I first started out, my kids would really test that they're like, really, are you setting a limit? Can you really hold this? You know, and it was a real, it was in the beginning, it took a lot of practice to learn how to actually stay super centred, and hold that space for them and welcome that as well so you know i I love that you brought that up and i i really invite people to be kind and compassionate to themselves if you're just starting on that journey or or you still feel like you want to yell or you go into that we are such a work in progress and it's really important as you said the more compassionate we can be to ourselves then um the more compassion we are then going to be able to bring to our children as well but it's hard. It's not easy. I know we're just sitting here on a podcast going, just walk in and say, I'm not willing for you to do that and, and hold the space for the feelings. It doesn't, it, it is hard. And I think that's such a beautiful invitation as we always talk about in this podcast to lean into the pieces that feel challenging for you around it. Like, what is your default? What do you want to yell in that moment? What do you, what are you thinking in this, those moments? You know, what is going on in your body? They are all such magnificent invitations for you to have a look at your own story and your own work so that we can turn up and be the parent we want. Because I think that's just, you know, we talk about this all the time, but that's what our children want. Our children want the best version of us. And that requires us looking at our own stories and doing the work so that we can turn up and be that really calm anchor for them so that they can move what they need to, so that they're then free to be who they need to be. You know, that's the bigger picture that we often talk about. I think that's the beauty of what Aware Parenting is about. It's, it's about allowing the child to be the full essence of who they need to be without our story, you know, piled on top of their shoulders. So it is hard. It is not easy. We're making it sound like you just do that. <laughs> that's fine. So please be kind and compassionate with yourself. And that's why we talk about, again, too. Having an empathy buddy, a listening partner, someone to be able to go and download with when something like that has happened, whether it's working with a therapist or a, a parenting instructor or someone to be able to lean into what happens for me, why do I get reactive, what's going on, so we can do the work so that we can turn up in that way to do it. It's, you know, it's, we need to be super kind to ourselves, you know, particularly again, that most of us were never modeled what this looks like. Mm, Yes. Such a big yes to that. Lale. And, uh, you know,
0: I want to add as well, it, we can also tune into what kinds of things happen to us or what it reminds us of. So if you perhaps had older siblings who maybe uh, hit you, if you're observing your older child moving towards hitting your younger child or, you know, your child hitting another child, it can really help us connect with those times where we felt deeply powerless. Mm. And when we feel deeply powerless, it's so incredibly excruciating that we will often then flip into power over because you know we're, we're remembering those times where that thing happened to us so often you know for most people seeing their child hitting is going to help them connect with feelings from the past because mm. we've all experienced even if it's just seeing, you know, children at school or just being, you know, told what to do at school, all of those kinds of things can show up. So, mm.
1: yeah. And I think, uh, like, I, I probably saw the most um, with my own children, I think, around hitting or, or not so much biting, but that kind of aggression behaviour. I would see lots more of it when they'd had a big day at kinder or at school when they first started school. So I often did see that. When they had been in situations perhaps where they didn't have that choice in autonomy, as you're talking about, I'd often see it come out when they'd been perhaps with their grandparents for the weekend or times where perhaps there was a whole accumulation of stuff going on or when there was big changes in our world. That's where I often saw it more is when, when those things were happening. So it's really good, I think, to parents to be really curious around what's going on in your child's world. Do you notice it happens more when you pick them up from daycare? Do you notice it happens more, um, you know, just because you've had a new baby in the family or, or somebody else? has come to stay or those kind of things it's really good to be curious okay what's what am i seeing here when is it coming out you know when am i noticing this behavior more so that we're able to then go okay yep we can see there's a big need not being met here and how can we do that so i I love maybe um you know you've mentioned one thing we can do which is absolutely going in making sure everyone's safe saying no to the behavior and then yes to the feelings, so holding space for perhaps tantrums or big, you know, anger or um, or tears, or all those kind of things. I also want to add to, you know, particularly with hitting, um, you know, absolutely first is we need to keep everybody safe. So sometimes that is moving your child to another room with you. Sometimes it is, for me, sometimes I used to pick up a pillow so to hold so that um, I would protect myself so that I wasn't being hit by my child. Um, of course, if they were hitting another child, I'd, I'd move them away. So there was you no know, first always is like, how do we keep everybody safe here? And, you know, for me, sometimes if one of my kids had hit their sibling, you know, I would try and make sure everyone's safe and I would tune in to the child that had been hurt. I'm so sorry. I wasn't there to help you and I'm here and I'm listening but also trying to still stay connected to the child that had done the hitting, you know, because again, when we look at it through the lens of how we're talking about that child is also in a whole lot of panic. There's a whole lot of feelings going on at the moment. They're not feeling good either. So trying to stay connected to both, you know, for me, I'd always try and help my childhood been hurt first and then really bring my attention towards my, my other child to say, you know, I'm here, I'm not going to let you do it anymore. And, and, you know, let it out and whatever limit I would have to hold for them so the feelings would come out. So so sometimes it is mo- removing your child, you know, with you to another room. You know, we, we never recommend leaving a child on their own in that state at all because it can feel really scary when a child's got all those feelings going on. So trying to stay connected with them as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, so we've got that, that holding of the space for the big feelings. Do you want to talk about how we can sometimes use play in a situation like that? Mm, I do want to add one more thing, and I love what you said there, Lau. And uh, to also, that can be also a
0: time where it might be really hard for us to be thinking of attending to to them compassionately, because again, our own conditioning is going to show up. We may want to move into, we may feel, we may be shaming ourselves, particularly if it's another parent. We may be feeling um, yeah, the embarrassment, the shame. We may be wanting them to straight away going into um, apologize. Um, we may you know we may get punitive those and again to really say that's so normal and natural given that most of us would have had those kinds of responses so again it takes a lot to really uncondition ourselves around these things so that we can really have deep compassion that that child is really in a lot of pain just as and again it can be helpful to remember times perhaps when if you can remember a time where you've done something to your child that you really didn't want to do you had big feelings bubbling over and you and you did something like shouted or whatever and how you felt directly afterwards. And to, to think about that as, you know, that's probably somewhat what they're feeling. You know, it's, it's really often a whole another layer of pain because they do not want to hurt. They don't want to, in the moment, you know, often maybe they one or two seconds of that, like the release, almost a kind of release, but not a, not a really helpful release. It doesn't really make much of a difference, but like to just the energy to come out for maybe one or two seconds, but that's not actually what they want to be doing. So mm-hmm. um, play, attachment play. Um, and again, this is this, I often find, do you find this loud that moving in with attachment play in response to hitting, it can be s- some of the most challenging things in terms of really changing behaviorism, because behaviorism says, when a child hits, um you know, I need to punish them or shame them to help them know that this is wrong and bad so that they stop. You know, it's really based on that belief that if a child understands it's bad enough, they will just choose not to do it because, you know, they're just thoughts. Um, So to actually be able to move in when a child has hit or is about to hit with play can often be it is really the opposite of behaviorism. So we might move in and we might start again, any kind of either power game or um, body contact game can be really helpful because we're really wanting to support them in moving from that aggression to the expression. So that can be through the laughter it can be helping them feel more powerful. So we might move in and say, you know, oh, it looks like you've got some feelings there. Whatever you do, you're not going to knock me over, are you? And maybe give them a pillow or invite them to push us. And we fall backwards on the couch and do a big exaggerated. No, you're not going to hit me, are you? You're not going to. And then and then they push us again. And so and if they're starting to laugh, they're releasing the feelings. Um, I have a, a game that I made up, so you might have heard the story about me and my son from, um, you know, I listened to many hundreds of hours of his crying for the first several years, his, his dad and I, and he was so calm and gentle. And then after his dad and I split up, he suddenly started hitting and, and head butting. So it was a big shift. And what I found really helpful was when, because sometimes loving limits do not the child does not move into crying or raging. There are all kinds of reasons for that, that, which we probably won't go into that here because it's quite in depth. Um, So what I found is if I was offering a loving limit and he didn't move into the tears, is I would play this game called the Shall We Dance Game. And basically it was to the tune of... um, Shall we dance from The King and I. I don't know if anyone's heard that. That's that's a bit more my era. It's actually before my era. And the song is um Shall we dance da, 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 la 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 la. And what I found that was really helpful was having a song and moving in with that song would help me stay calm and relaxed and in that kind of playful mode. So again, it's finding ways that can help us um, be in that calm, loving space. And then basically, what I do is if he was trying to, you know, be trying to hit me, and I'd get his foot and I'd start doing like, "Oh, we're doing cossack dance, shall we dance? Cossack dance, da da, da. Or if he started trying to hit me with his hand, I'd get his hand and I go, "Oh, we're doing the tango, la 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 la." And basically, you know. I know often people say, but isn't that distracting them from their feelings? And I want to say to me, that is, this is really different. If a child is crying or they're in the midst of a gorgeous tantrum, of course, we're not going to move in and, and play, but if they're in aggression and they're not moving into expression, or we just actually feel more called and have more aliveness at that moment to offer attachment and play, it actually supports them in a feeling connected, which is they're not feeling connected when they're in aggression. They're experiencing being loved because we're moving in with warmth and, and, you know, that, and they really experience that. They're all their systems are observing that they're seeing in our face, the warmth, they're feeling that warmth, they're feeling the touch, all the things that are going to support them in knowing that even though they feel this powerlessness and this rage that we love them and we're here to support them, care from them on a really deep, um, tangible, physical level. And also then, Um, the feelings can start to shift into laughter, which would generally happen when we would play that game is that he would start laughing. Um, And and if you're newer to our parenting, uh, laughter is also a really powerful form of expression. It, It expresses feelings of fear and powerlessness. It doesn't replace crying or raging. It never does, but it can really support loosening up some of those lighter feelings, which then actually will help children also be able to maybe even that time or another time be more freely crying and and raging in really healthy ways. So that was a really helpful game that I found would often really shift from from this, you know, really full on, you know, kicking five-year-old, six-year-old kicking, head-butting to actually us laughing together and feeling warm and connected again. Um, And then I'd still be watching out, you know, okay, you know, because there would still be deeper feelings. I would say, again... Um, because when a child's hitting, it is usually deeper feelings. I would say attachment plays probably often not going to to release all the feelings that were causing the hitting. There's likely there's still some crying or some tantruming that's going to be sitting there still, uh, waiting for an outlet to show up in. So that later on that night they might be. Just asking for lots of things and you give them all the things and they're still not happy. And that's where we might also come in with a loving limit. And I really hear that you, you know, want me to read a different book or you really don't like that spoon and you've given them five different ones and I'm not willing to get another spoon, sweetheart, and they'll have the cry then. So um, it's really observing uh, and we get more and more familiar with our child's emotional state. The more we understand this, we'll get to be able to tell in the tone of their voice or their behavior. Aha, you know, there's feelings bubbling up to the surface here. So we get more skilled at understanding that and moving in with connection, with attachment play, with loving limits.
1: Mm, yes, 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 all of that. And I, I love that last point. I think the more we do it you're right, the more skilled we get at reading what that situation needs and what each child needs as well. So I think all kids are different and Um, you know my youngest you could always move into play with her she would you know she'd usually really lean towards that whereas my middle one wouldn't so much you know she was just more like I'm going into the feelings (laughs) and you've got to come with me whereas my youngest one play was often you know I would always try that first if it was appropriate not again not if she was in the middle of some big tears and that would often dissolve some of the tensions and feelings that we could then move forward or find other ways to help them help them release as well so they're really you know they're beautiful tips and I think it is really again also important to know it takes practice and um and you know part one part of it is us being able to turn up and hold that for them the other part is being super aware of how we're feeling our own stuff you know and that's that's so important you know because I think out there in the world we're often given this do this one two three steps for your child and then it'll be all right but We're not looking deep enough, I think. We're not looking at what's driving their behavior, what are their needs not being met? Where's my story? How am I feeling today? What happened to me when I was a child? Like there's so many elements that go with it that I think you know we we need to lean into to to have a bigger, broader picture to help our children move some of these big feelings. So so we can respond with playfulness, we can respond with those bound those beautiful, like loving limits, holding those spaces. So there's also lots of maintenance stuff that we can do when children are feeling um, when we're seeing a lot more aggression, so when we are seeing hitting or biting or headbutting or throwing all those kind of things. There's lots of things that we can do daily to help our children um, move some of that stuff so that doesn't necessarily have to get to those places where they are acting out in aggression. And that's, again, where we talk about play, um, connection, all that beautiful stuff. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Marion, just to, oh, you know. I love that. I was, we're going in
0: the same direction because I was thinking, oh, preventative. So uh, to really think about, again, those three, the list of three things. So in terms of a needs level, the more a child has autonomy and agency and choice, the less likely they're going to feel powerless to the point of those powerlessness feelings accumulating into aggression. So wherever possible, giving your child choice. So, you know, I used to have, my kids used to have a couple of toothbrushes and a couple of um, different um, toothpaste, for example. So it'd be like, you know, which toothbrush do you want? Which pajamas do you want? You know, in all the places where we are willing to give them choice or to offer choices and doing that as much as possible, really, so that they're getting that agency because living in the culture that we live in, there's still so many times where children are just going to feel powerless, you know, this culture is set up for that to happen. So that's a really big thing um, in terms of attachment play, which both meets needs for connection and also needs for release through laughter and play a couple of I think games that are really helpful. One would be non-directive child-centered play. So as much as possible, uh, even if that's just once a week, 40 minutes or you know, every day, two minutes, where we give our undivided attention to our child. And we are in a space where we can follow their lead and be engaged and be interested and they get to choose what happens and we follow that. And that can really meet their needs for connection and choice. And it can also support them in bringing up feelings that are bubbling. So those things might come up at the end of the, the play. Or they might start showing us in their play, you know, what's going on in an interaction. They might start playing trucks, or they might start telling us what to do in a particular voice. So uh, that non-directive child centre play really supports them in, uh, yeah, feeling that connection, feeling that deep care from us that we really love them, that uh, and that we're here and listening. And another, the other form of attachment play that would be really helpful is power reversal games. So again, that one, like the, with the pillow, but also I used to do like just on the swing often or on the swing. And every time they come back, I'd be, I'd pretend that they were kicking me over and I'd do a big exaggerated um, fall backwards, you know, three meters backwards. And like, oh my gosh, you're not going to do that again. And then every time they came forward, I would just, you know, pretend to be kicked to the other side of the room. So anyway, where they are, Uh, We're pretending to be less powerful and smaller and just less competent. And they're getting to be the more powerful one, which is generally it's the other way around. And they're getting uh, particularly if they're laughing, they're clearly smiling, enjoying it. They're getting to feel that sense of power in their bodies, but also to release feelings of powerlessness so that those are less likely to bubble up into aggression.
1: Mm, I love that. Uh, and thinking of those um, games of like even you can do this with little ones who have to have their nappy changed and don't like having their nappy changed and laying down. You know, you can pretend that they kick you and jump back. Like babies and little ones love that. They laugh. I remember doing that with my with my kids. Um, you know, when my children, you know, because they all went to to kinder and school, um, particularly in kinder and um, the first year or two of school, you know, our our standard practice was that as soon as we got home we would rumble, which means we would all go to our bed, and we would have a pillow fight and they would, you know, knock me over and be stronger than me. And we would have, that was our maintenance, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day of rumbling from whenever they had been at, at kinder or school. And and that was just so vitally important for them to release a lot of the tensions that they'd been holding in their bodies through the day. And then sometimes we would play with my youngest, we would then play Tarly's rules where she, you know, for 15 minutes was the boss of me <laughs> to order me around and tell me what to do. And, and what was interesting is that she would, say when she needed it like the more we did this the more she would be able to say this is what i need so she'd be like we need to play Tali's rules i'll be like okay let's do it or you know she'd walk in and go rumbling now and i'd be like okay so the more we made it something that we would do the more my children were able to then ask for what they wanted you know, because they were aware in their bodies, I feel powerless or I've had a really challenging day. So I'm, I need to move this. And so then they were able to ask for what they wanted. And I think that was powerful, but doing it as maintenance was just so amazing. So even you could see that if you're, you're, you've got some, you know, siblings and the old ones trying to control the younger one, or, you know, you can see that something's brewing between your kids. That can be a time where you're like, right. Let's lean into doing some stuff now that can be preventative so that it doesn't have to escalate into hurting each other or someone else or those kind of things. And that could be also too if you go to like a playgroup. Um, where there's other parents and kids and, and if you know that your child's been feeling a little bit powerless, you know, and they've been hitting or biting or that kind of stuff, perhaps doing some attachment play before you go, you know, power reversal stuff or an opportunity for them to move some feelings before you actually even go to the other kids can be really powerful because for some children then walking into a room where there's lots of other kids and having to share toys can just be so big that all of a sudden they then, you know, act out or lash out in those ways so there's lots of things we can do you know as maintenance as we say to help our kids move those feelings so that doesn't have to reach that escalation point so and it is like if you have a new baby in your family or you've moved house or there's been big shifts and changes that's when we really often need to up the play and up that that one-on-one time and that power vessel stuff to help move some of the stuff that's going on for them so that they um you know, so that then they don't have to act it out. Yes,
0: I love that. And I'd also love to add as well, of course, the more we're listening to crying and tantrums just generally, which it's so natural, normal, particularly for younger children to need to cry a lot, you know, frequently, many times. Uh, and the more we're catching those signs and, you know, you can listen to our other podcasts to, to learn more about that, but the more we're accepting those feelings um that they're coming out through expression, the less likely they're going to, Move to aggression as well, and the other thing I think is really helpful is differentiating between a tantrum and aggression, because I think again in this culture often, you know, you'll hear people, adults will, you know, be having a big reaction. They say, you know, I had a tantrum. So it's really understanding that. when a child is having a tantrum, it's a healthy e- expression. So it's there they might be um, removing their bodies a lot, but they're not actually, you know, they're, they're in that raging, they're releasing. And that's different from um, a child who is in aggression, who is hitting. So, again, really understanding the dif- difference between those two, I think, can be really important. And to really support a child if they're in aggression, to move more into the, the healthy tantrum rather than the hitting Mm.
1: i also think too that that helped um Really reminds me too of as an adult. Like sometimes when we have big buildup of feelings, we want to move our bodies in ways because we're like, yes. I feel frustrated and angry. And um, we did a whole podcast on aggression, which I think we go into this a lot more. Um, but really, I think that you know, I know I felt like that before. At times where I felt frustrated or powerless, like I want to box, like I want to punch something, not a person. <laughs> But I will often know I want to connect with something. I want to move my body in a way because I can feel it brewing inside me. And just taking some deep breath doesn't help. Sometimes I need to move my body. Sometimes I need to do angry dancing. Sometimes I need to yell and shake because I can feel all of that in my body. So I think, again, when we're looking for healthy ways to move some of the stuff that's that's within us, it's really good to reflect on what do we do as adults. Now, of course, if we don't give ourselves permission to do that, we will then look to repress those feelings. So we will want to drink more wine or we will want to find ways to check out from our feelings or we move then into aggression, which is you know where we then will power over our kids and we might yell or we might move into hitting or stuff that that you know we don't want to do, but because of that own buildup and tension within us, that's how it's coming out. So it's we can see the mirror with our beautiful children. And and I come back to that again of going, okay, so if my body's feeling like this, Again, I am an adult and I have words and I have had years of therapy and I, I know and understand this, right? But sometimes I still feel like this. What do I need to do in those moments? And that, again, helps me really to remember, okay, and so then look at these beautiful little people who are still learning. It is my job to guide them, to show them, to help them navigate that. And then the more that we do that when they're younger, then they develop the ability to actually say, I am angry, I need to do this. Or I am feeling so frustrated, I'm going to go for a run. Or they develop an opportunity to tune into what they're feeling and then they're able to express it and move it in a healthy way. And that's the goal. That's what we want, right? We want to raise kids who become teenagers who are able to walk in and go, I am so mad right now and I need some support with this or I'm going to do that or like, you know, what is it that, you know, they're able to express what it is. So they don't then have to go and, you know, do other destructive behaviours. Mm, such a big yes to that. Yes, yes, yes. And uh,
0: feathers back again, if they're snorting, they're snorting and birds. So <laughs> it's quite loud here. Um, I really remember, and I've shared this on other podcasts, Sunny, who would uh, even till maybe up to about 11 or 12, he doesn't do it now. But if he felt frustrated around something, he would literally just go, you know, maybe he was on his computer and he'd literally go, ah. And, and again, uh, and that's what I do nowadays. Mm. Generally, if I feel really frustrated, I've got some that big energy no, it's being able to express that and it really, it's really yummy, isn't it, to express that, into, which is no, it's not hurting anyone, it's not blaming anyone, it's just the literal physical expression of that energy which has accumulated in our bodies and it's there's, mm-hmm. there's just so wonderful and
1: mm-hmm. it
0: helps us reconnect with our power as well when we express mm-hmm. that in healthy ways, mm-hmm. not power over, but just the power mm-hmm. in our bodies, which is what aggression, paradoxically, I always mm-hmm. think it's really helpful to remember that, child in aggression is actually not feeling powerful yes I also yes. find that really helpful to then extend that if you think about all the people yeah the people who use power over in 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 the world right now um the people who are using power over actually not feeling really powerful someone who feels really powerful can actually move in in, you know in parenting for example when we're feeling our true power we're able to move in with a loving limit Mm. it's when we're feeling powerless we've got our own feelings of of hurt and powerlessness and fear showing up that we will then move in in a harsh power over way so true power when the more we get to express this beautiful energy in healthy ways the more powerful true power that we feel and gosh doesn't the world need children to grow up to get getting to express a lot of that energy a lot of those feelings so that they don't need to use power over others over over children over other adults they don't need to do that and they are not willing to do that because they have that deep sense of power within themselves Mm. yes yes
1: yes 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 Yes. All of that. You know, the one other thing I just want to say too, is that often parents will say to me, well, after they've calmed down or they've had big feelings, do we talk about it? You know, do I say to them, you know, we don't hit and we do this and we do that. And I guess how I sit with that is, um, you know, there's no point trying to talk to a child we know who is angry or upset or, you know, in the tears. We have to wait for it all to pass because often they don't even have the capabilities to use their words. We need to find, wait for it to move. And then, you know, again, coming back to it, looking from this lens, a child knows it's not okay to hear They know that it doesn't feel good. They don't want to do it. It is often they're doing it because, as we've talked about, they've got a whole lot of stuff going on. So, I often would talk to my kids in the sense of that, you know, that felt really big. I can see you were angry. Do you know what you were angry about? Like, we might have a conversation around why they were doing it. Um, And then for me, it wasn't so much about, you know, we don't hit because I know that they know that we don't hit. Um, It was more about what do we need to do to repair, sweetheart? Because I can see that you hurt your sister or you did this or you did that. What do you think we need? do to repair. And when a child feels back in balance, when they have often released those feelings and emotions, they will often be a lot more willing to apologize or to repair in a way that feels good for them. So that was usually how our conversations would go. I I never felt like I had to say, you know, we don't hit, what can you do next time? You know, it was my job to keep working on that maintenance. so I could help them move those feelings and emotions you know i might be saying i can see that you're getting angry what can we do with your body right now like all of that was part of the learning and the teaching that they were getting um so it really was more so yep i can see you're really mad you do a great job letting your feelings go remember we need to keep everybody safe what do you need to do to repair that's usually how i would then talk about it with my kids um and again depending on the age of how old they were or where they were at where that would conversation go a bit deeper. It might be a bit simpler, but, you know, I always came back to going, I don't need to say to them, you know, we don't hit because they know that they knew, you know, that that's not what we do. And so I think for me, that was, um, it was more just around the connection and the repair. And I was, you know, for me, it was really important that my children didn't feel shame they didn't feel shame for how they were behaving. And so often what it was for me is how do I make sure I stay connected to them and help them understand that we're all learning and that we're all growing. And, you know, I, I love them no matter what. I'm just here to help everyone stay safe and get their needs met. So that for me, and then I would find that they often would repair really willingly, whether that was going and saying sorry or making a picture for their sibling or whatever, they would find a way to do it in their own way. What about for you, Marion? Marion? Mm, I
0: love that so much. Do you know, what? I actually wanted to go a little bit somewhere else, which is um, around the language, which is um, this isn't this isn't Alita's work, but you know, I'm a bit passionate about language (laughs) Um, because you talked about uh, we don't hit. So when a child is hitting, I know often it can be really easy to say things like uh, we don't hit in this family. What I would I love to keep coming back to in terms of a loving limit, if we're wanting to help a child feel our love and our warmth, and feel that clear no, so that they can move into from the aggression to expression, there are so many things that we can say that can prevent that. So if we say we don't hit in our family, we're not we're not feeling that. It, maybe listen to how you feel when you hear me say that. We don't hit in our family. It doesn't it doesn't create the kind of connection? It doesn't create the kind of loving limit. Um, uh, another thing people can say is it's not okay to hit. And again, um, you know, deep compassion, if you've said that, uh, uh, but again, if you listen to how you feel in your body, if I was to say to you, it's not okay to hit, um, it can be very easy for that. It's a judgment. It's not okay. So children can then, um, feel some shame or some guilt, which again means they're less likely to then be able to move into, um, expressing the feelings in ways that they're going to feel more comfortable afterwards. And the other one being that one that you said before which is be gentle (laughs) again you know we can't they can't think their way out of these feelings so we can be gentle you know tell them that 10 million times it doesn't actually address the cause of the behavior so i just wanted to say that uh, acknowledge that it's not that's not alita's work but just to notice what language uh, we're using because again that can help us i know for me the language was really helpful. When I first, it took me so long to get loving limits. And when I first really got it, I remember it was the first time I was with Sunny, and he was hitting and I really connected with, I'm, I am not willing to be hurt here. And it was a really powerful, I can literally remember it, was that really, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to be hurt. I'm not willing for this, you know, I'm, I'm just not willing for this to continue. Whereas before I'd always been a little bit, uh, you know, and a wishy-washy around my loving limits. It took me a long time to really get them that really clear. I am not willing for this. I am, and I, I'm so here. I love you. I'm here to keep us both safe. And I'm here to listen to the feelings. And I'm not willing to be hit. So um, I wanted to add that languagey bit in because that's my passion, as you know. <laughs>
1: I think it's really important. And I I have learned a lot of that from you around the language because I think, I would often go into, we don't do that. And we don't do this. And I think really learning that from you, I love that. I am not willing for you to do that. It's such a powerful statement. It it really is. Again, there's no shame within it. It's just saying here's, here's a limit, you know, here's the edge and, and I've got you and I'm here and I'm still connected to you, but um, you know, I'm I'm not willing for you to do that and I think you know that also the language is important and of course the, our energy that we meet our kids with is really important as well so if our child is got big energy and feelings and we come in with oh darling I can see you're really upset or you're really angry our children will be like no you don't get it you're not meeting me with where my energy's at so sometimes we have to be really mindful of the energy and the intention that we bring to it as well because for me if I was feeling that mad I'd want someone to go god yeah you're mad I get it Tell me." what else? Like, I'm here. I really see where you are at. Like I've, I can hold this. I've got it. I get the intensity of it. Like, come on, I'm here. And And as you know, I might feel that safety with the other person who really sees where I'm at. You know, as they as they bring more calm to that situation, then that helps me bring more calm. And those beautiful mirror neurons that we have that go on that then help help anybody to to move into that calmness works beautifully. But I think that's you know the languaging in our energy is really important. It's safe to say you know if we are yelling at our kids to stop hitting, then and and we're feeling angry, then we're out of balance. You know, and we've lost our center and and of course, we need to make sure everyone's safe. But we're better off taking a moment to try and find our calm before we come back to help our kids. So, and that takes practice for
0: sure. Yeah, and do you know, what I'd also love to add as well—not only the mirroring energetically with that match, but also to be because it's not only the compassion it is standing in that powerful place to to create that kind of safety. That these are big feelings they're having, and if they're hitting there's also that those parts of them that want to know that we are strong and we are powerful as well. So really st- standing in that place, sitting in that place in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So all our work, you know, we're, we're going to, we've got a book coming up, a uh, mother power. The more we are connected with our true power, rather than the, the power over or the powerlessness, the more we're going to actually move in, in a way where we're, they really feel that we are powerful. We are bigger than that, that hitting. We can, um, you know, we can be there with them, we can create this safety. So it's not only the love, it's also that, that power, which of course is, you know, so much of my work about the love and the power. So um, I, when you were speaking, it was so clear to me that that's such an important part of this too. And again, I want to repeat what you said, which is all of these things take time and they take practice. And so every time, you know, if your child is hitting on an ongoing basis, um, it's like a practice and we're going to get more and more competent the more we practice these things. And if it's helpful to hear when my son was going through that, I was also in so much pain. There were many times, there were t- lots of times I did respond with loving limits and attachment play. And there were many times I responded in ways that I didn't enjoy because I was in so much pain, so much powerlessness. So, um, you know, so much compassion if you're experiencing that right now and this isn't some kind of, you know, this is the way to do it. And, um, you know, but just to be compassionate about how how big it is to actually be able to practice these enough so that we can stand in them. So mm,
1: yeah. yeah, and I look... I just want to say, if you're listening to this, you know, be gentle and kind and start with just a little bit, which is that if your child is hitting or biting or doing something, even if you start with just changing the thought that says, oh, they're not bad, they're having a hard time, like that's a step forward. Or perhaps if you're able to not yell and go over and just, you know, put your body in between to make sure everybody's safe that's a beautiful start. Or if we can just keep breathing deeply and just say, I'm going to move you to another room, you know, and that's all we do. That's another beautiful start. So be really kind to yourself. Cause as we say it all the time, most of us have never experienced what this feels like. And so we're asking, you know, to, to do it in a way that a lot of us don't know in ourselves, you know, what that feels like. So, this is why it's hard. It's really hard and we have to be kind and compassionate to ourselves, but each little step is a good thing. And each time you do something like that, then celebrate yourself and be like, yes, wow, I did amazing. I didn't I didn't yell then or I was able to say calm or I could really reflect on where I was at in the moment or, wow, I just did some play where I could see that they moved a hold of feelings or something like that. They're all such triumphs. You know, this, this is amazing. And this is why, again, we... We really champion connecting with other parents who get it, you know, having a listening partner and empathy buddy where you can celebrate these things or share the hard or belong to some communities and groups who really do get this as well, because we need to see it in action sometimes. We need to hear others talk about it. You know, we need to often see the evidence of how powerful it can be, you know, um, when we use these practices. So yeah, see so if you can find your tribe that can always help massively.
0: Mm, makes such a huge difference, doesn't it? Mm. Um, I think we're coming to the end, but I did want to say one more thing that I found really helpful. I actually learned from a mentee who um, shared it with me where she would go in with it was with her children and there was something going on, one hitting another, and she would move in and say, I'm here to keep everyone safe. Mm. And what I love about that, again, this isn't aware parenting, but um, is there we're also communicating to the younger parts of us who were hurt or didn't feel safe or you know our sibling hit us or whatever it was that we're Mm -hmm. we're so again um finding ways to communicate not only to our children but to the younger parts of us that that in ways Mm -hmm. that feel supportive and that are going to help us be more likely to move in in a calm and powerful and loving way
1: Hmm, I love that. I'm here to keep us all safe. I love that. I love that. All right. So to finish off, what would you love to offer everybody?
0: Um, Just so much love. And this is so profound. Like like to even to just change our response one time when we we are changing the paradigm. This is literally thousands of years of uh, you know, what I call the disconnected domination culture here. So to actually, you know, any if you, if you have a spiritual practice or whatever it is that you do, like this is, this is one of the toughest ones to be able to move in when a child is hitting and to not punish or shame or threaten all of those things to move in, you know, all the ways we said that is a profound thing. So um, just to really acknowledge that you are changing big things and to Again, celebrate yourself, be compassionate with yourself, all of the things that
1: we've already said really. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about yeah. you? Have got a new thing to add? <laughs> uh, no, I would just, I guess for me it's just coming back to what would you have wanted to hear or well, what would you have needed if you were feeling out of control or angry or powerless or frustrated? What would you have wanted from your parents in that moment to help you? So that's always a good, good place to start, I think. Mm. All right, now tell me about your offerings. When we're talking about hitting, biting, powerlessness, Marion, what have you got for people to learn more around? (laughs) Well, I've got
0: my Making Friends with Children's Feelings course, which uh, really goes into the whole expression, repression, aggression, and how to support ourselves so we can help our kids move more into expression. I've got a few little um, shorter things. I've actually got a little shorter um, audio, video, PDF just on hitting. Um, I've also got my power and powerlessness in parenting course, which is one of my absolute favorites. So, um, which is not, so I do you want to say it's not all aware parenting, but it's, um, you know, completely in congruence with aware parenting. So those are just a few that that are about this
1: Yay. how about you lao
0: what would you like to
1: um well i i have my aware parenting for couples course which is actually really designed for couples to watch together to look at your own stories and imprints and how they've impacted you and how we respond to our kids so that is also something that we see that comes up a lot is you know one parent can often move into that authoritarian power over the other one is sometimes permissive. And so that course really does help, I guess, you look at both of your stories and where you've come from and where you are. So there's that. And I think I'm going to start and we're in the beginning of June now and um, I I think I'm going to start, I do another eight-week immersion sometime mm. in July so who knows when everybody's listening to that. But if you wanted to join me live for an eight-week course, then that might be coming up. So I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. But our book will be coming soon. So we can't yeah. wait to share that with you all around all this beautiful stuff that we talk about. So we're very excited that that's going to be out there very soon yes yum yay yes yes Uh, thanks for listening everybody we Uh, so value your beautiful comments and feedback and everything so we hope hitting and biting part two has filled the need for the rest (laughs) that that went missing so we trust it would be interesting to hear what we talked about first time um we trust that it's you know exactly what you need this time so thanks for being here everybody go gently
0: so much love to you
1: Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.